Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everyone. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. And we've got uh, Sheriff Andy Taylor. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Don always says that when I'm on the show. <laughs> uh, uh, Professor Andy Taylor. Of course, when most people hear uh, Andy Taylor and then hear that accent, you're not from Mayberry, are you? No, no. I'm from Fuquay Varina. <laughs> no, I, I like saying that. No, I, I am not from, I'm originally from the UK, but uh-huh. um, compared to, I know a lot of the listeners throughout the state have been in North Carolina a lot longer than me. Yeah. But a lot of the listeners, particularly in the Charlotte area, in the Triangle and the Triad, haven't been here as long as me. I've been in North Carolina since 95 at NC mm-hmm. State, but I'm originally from the UK. How'd you, how'd you get over here? Um, I came to graduate school um, in, I've been here since 88 mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, I went to graduate school at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and then I did my PhD at UConn and then sort of accidentally um, came into a career uh, teaching political science at NC State. Um, well, why'd you it, stay? I mean, you got I, Well, I love North Carolina, um, except on days like today when it's 100 <laughs> uh, degrees. Yeah, but, 100 um, degrees and 100% humidity, humidity, those things. Yeah, yeah. but no, um, uh, I, NC State took a, and appreciate the people of, of North Carolina because they own NC State, mm-hmm. took a chance on me in 1995, and um, I think I've added value, uh, and I've enjoyed every minute of being here. It's just a wonderful place. You know, it, it's amazing that you've, uh, you know, were born and raised in uh, the United Kingdom, but yet you've become so involved in probably the most American of sports, and that's politics. How'd that happen? Well, when I was a kid, I was always interested in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I was when we used to get the newspaper in the UK. The, the, the you know the front page is all politics, and the back page is sports. Mm-hmm. And my friends would always go straight to back page, and I always go straight to front page. And they thought that was a bit strange. And I enjoyed elections. I loved election night on TV and watching you know, British general elections. Um, I always had a great admiration and, and and interest in the United States, and so. You know, like most college students, you don't know what you really want to do when you go to college, but it just seemed natural for me to bring together those two interests, one in, in politics and, and one in the United States. And so I did, you know, that was sort of my major course of study in, in college. Is, is, the, uh, is the political structure vastly different between the United States? You know, I mean, we don't have a queen. Right. You know, but. Oh, yeah, uh, hugely different. Uh, we, we don't, I think we want to talk about other things in the show because we could go on forever, but. Yeah, I mean, obviously the parliamentary system as opposed to our presidential yeah. system, our system of separation of powers, our federal system, so we have a highly de- decentralized system. The, the the British is a unitary system with the, mm-hmm. the significant powers in London, although they have over the past sort of 30 years or so increasingly been devolved um, uh, to particularly to Scotland, but also to Wales uh, and Northern Ireland, uh, you know, con- constituent mm. countries of the United Kingdom. And of course... Uh, the whole reason for one of the major reasons for Brexit is a f- uh, sort of dispute over whether power should stay with the British Parliament or uh, go up to uh, to the European Union. And of course, that sort of fed the, the referendum and, the, and the, the desire to get out of the European Union in 2016, which, of course, is still going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fundamental differences, right? Okay. Well, let's uh, let's let's kind of segue into into uh, the, let's use Brexit as a segue. 
with regard to our president, uh, President Trump, uh, which I, I believe most smart people like you um, say that, one, that he's more populist than anything else. And is this part of a global populist wave with uh, Brexit and, of course, and now us, uh, the United States electing an outsider who had had no political experience but said, hey, I'm just the guy to do the job? Yeah, it's certainly – you know, these both happened in 2016, the election of mm-hmm. Donald Trump and the and the Brexit. And there have been a number of uh, other Western countries, um, particularly um, in Europe, um, who have elected or given significant support to political parties or leaders who are would be in that type. And in fact, just as we speak, we're coming to the end of a leadership election in the UK uh, to replace Prime Minister Theresa May as Mm -hmm. Prime Minister as leader of the Conservative Party Um, and uh, it's pretty clear that the winner is going to be this guy called Boris Johnson who in many ways is sort of cut off similar cloth I wouldn't say the same but similar cloth as as Trump is so this has been a a phenomenon Um, you called it populist Mm -hmm. it certainly uh, mixes up and models for us in the United States our traditional sort of conservative to liberal way that we think about politics in an ideological sense. Um, Trump isn't, uh, you know, he calls himself a conservative. He is a Republican, um, but he isn't really uh, a Republican as we would um, recognize Republicans up until recently. Um, I mean, many of his positions wouldn't be conservative, particularly on matters like trade, um, even up until recently, the Republican Party has had been um, much more open to immigration than the Democratic Party, actually. Um, and so he's he's changed things. He's a disruptor. Like people mm-hmm. use that term quite a lot. Um, and he's done it uh, in, as you know, you use this term populism in a, a sort of populistic way, as sort of saying I'm against the establishment. Right? Yeah. There are these elite um, and established institutions um, in Washington, the deep state uses that term. Um, in the cultural elites, like in the media, in Hollywood, in in um, uh, u- uh, colleges and universities, who have control over society, and I'm here to sort of break us from that yoke uh, and and change things up. Um, so this is a you know Trump and and these others uh, across. Um, the West uh, are changing politics profoundly. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, given your, your background and, and in, in addition to your profession, is this uh, in essence somewhat of a, a global perspective? You say Boris Johnson in, uh, in England, and of course uh, Marie Le Pen in France uh, put up a much stronger uh, challenge uh, to, uh, to become uh, president of France and so forth. The uh, Prime Minister Merkel is uh, she's now stepping down. I have no idea who's in line to to succeed her. But is this not necessarily a um, electing disruptor, so to speak? Is that uh, not necessarily a U.S. thing? No, I think it's broader. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, I think you're right. I think it's broader. And, and, you know, it comes at a time um, in in, in the development of, of the world in which, you know, in the 20th century, the 19th century was the beginning, really, of sort of class politics. Um, the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. uh, pitted people who had money, who who ran businesses, who owned things against 
workers, right? And that was a, that was a typical cleavage in in politics going into the 20th century. As you know, uh, American politics uh, was more complicated than that. But that was sort of yeah. generally where the Republicans and Democrats were 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 in that way. Um, they were br- brought together greatly after World War II, largely because of the threat of of communism and and to to wage the Cold War. Um, and that's over now. And so we've got this other cleavage, which seems to be not necessarily um, sort of rich versus poor, although there's a lot to that. Um, but it's it's this cleavage over um, where the world is going. Uh, are you OK with globalism, which is a sort of idea that um, political power uh, does not reside in localities or sovereign states aren't necessarily important. There are the sort of, these sort of broader global forces like markets, international markets, uh, like international political institutions. Um, or do you want to, are you more interested in protecting sort of parochial and local concerns uh, against those kinds of tides? Um, and you can be kind of a tr- old school liberal and an old school conservative and sort of be okay with globalism or you can be an old school liberal and an old school conservative mm-hmm. and be against it and so this is why those old ideological labels are, are really um, losing a lot of their uh, um, descriptive capability yeah because at least with um, president trump um i think you you Hit the hit it on the nose there. You say he's Republican, and that's about as far as it goes. Because, as you said, he has uh, used tariffs like uh, any other president that I uh, can remember, and uh, and he kind of justifies it by saying, "Well, we need to put America first, where his predecessors, including Republican presidents of uh, the Bushes and uh, Ronald Reagan, to a certain extent, said." Uh, no, we're part of a of a larger community, right? A tar- well, tariffs are taxes. I mean, he's raising taxes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. and we had the uh, a large, uh, uh, impressive tax cut right at the end of twenty seventeen. You know, where yeah. he he compared himself with his biggest tax cut, bigger than Reagan's in nineteen eighty one. Right, right. That's right. Uh, but now he's raising taxes all the time um, with, with tariffs uh, unilaterally, um, and. Um, but that's di- different, right? That's a uh, but. But sort of a low tax, low regulation person would say, "Well, well, hold on a minute. That was great what you did with the tax code in 2017, but this, this is you're raising taxes now." What is he doing with regard to immigration? How would you characterize that? Well, again, you know, people who are for freedom of movement and freedom of capital, freedom mm-hmm. of labor would say this is um, not great. I mean, I think what what what's happened with the immigration debate is that we've got it over a very sort of specific matter rather than talking about the immigration system has been broken for a long time. And there have been a number of presidents and and members of Congress of both parties over the past um, uh, 20 years who have really tried Mm -hmm. to work on this. But now we've focused on this one issue, which is uh, migrants from Central America Mm -hmm who are unusual in the fact that they come as families. Generally, most people who try to get into the United States are um, younger people, uh, generally men, mm-hmm. um, who are looking for work. And generally from Mexico. Yes, right. And so this has changed profoundly. Now we have families um, who are not Mexican, but are from deeper in Central America, from places right. like Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras, um, who are seeking asylum. Uh, and are largely coming for reasons of, of, of safety as much as economic reasons. Um, and we're focused on them and, of course, the treatment. Um, and so the issue uh, has become specifically about that 
rather than some of the broader questions of immigration and their treatment, etc. Okay. Well, when we come back, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Uh, Taylor whether or not President uh, Trump's popularity among North Carolinians, he was in uh, North Carolina this week, is it because of his ideas or because of his personality? You're listening to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis. We'll be right back. I'm Howie Mandel. Did you know attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in adults is a real and treatable medical disorder? I know because I am one of the estimated 10 million adults in the U.S. who have ADHD. The symptoms of ADHD, inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity make it difficult to pay attention and focus, be organized, complete tasks, and maintain relationships. I've been diagnosed with ADHD. In my life, I've often misplaced things and have found it difficult to sit down and read a script for work or even have a conversation. You know, the kind when you're actually listening without interrupting. It's never too late for adults to seek help for ADHD and find the right treatment plan. Get information at adultadhdisreal.com and take an ADHD self-screener. Talk to your doctor. The right treatment plan can help control your symptoms so you can stay focused and organized, get things done at home and work, and help improve relationships. Visit adultadhdisreal.com to learn more about adult ADHD. Don't let ADHD prevent you from achieving your goals. I haven't. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right, sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition. We've uh, been talking a little bit about all kinds of uh, things, international politics. How's that? Yeah, you think right. that could pass? Yeah, and, uh, it's a England? bit like Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. Uh, some of the listeners might remember <laughs> Dick Van Dyke's uh, as Bert, as the chimney sweep. <laughs> okay. Well, not bad for a Latin dude trying yeah, to sound yeah, like yeah. Dick, Dick uh, Van Dyke. <laughs> anyway, um, we, uh, we talked about uh, President Trump as uh, a disruptor, as uh, a man uh, who, uh, who's is a somewhat of a of a populist uh, uh, appeal and so forth. Now that he has been in office, uh, coming up on uh, three years, uh, your obs- your professional observation uh, are his supporters, of which there were many in Greenville when he came to visit. Are they more interested in Donald Trump the man or Donald Trump the his ideas as a, as a as a politician? Well, probably both. I and mean, that's an easy out, Rick, right, to say both. I'm sure it is both. Um, yeah, Trump is a phenomenon, um, and um, he certainly does have some clear ideas. I mean, I don't think this is someone uh, – in, in, in many ways, there are a lot of issues where he doesn't have ideas, and there are a lot of issues where he prevaricates, and it's sort of unclear what his position is. But there are certain issues where he, he clearly has um, – uh, f- fleshed out uh, ideas and we mentioned trade and immigration in the last sec- segment and I think those are, are two um, obvious uh, uh, issues there are a lot of people of course who criticize and this has been the brouhaha in Congress this week with the president's tweets um, they say that um, uh, Trump's policies are divisive um, uh, often racially so they're racist um, mm-hmm. uh, those accusations are going on but but it's not 
uh, that's clearly some style. It's not, you know, in terms of substance, um, uh, it, it, it's interesting what what kinds of policies Trump has that are like that. And he may be, he may think like that. He mm-hmm. may want those kinds of policies, right? But really, the the the, the sort of the, the genus of of Trump's political philosophy is what you said: America first, mm-hmm. and that means that we need to focus on uh, our own interests. So that means hiking tariffs unless we get favorable trade agreements. What Trump believes is favorable trade agreements yeah. to he- to heck with you know global markets. We, we're going we, to. It means really cramp, clamping down on immigration. Um, which many people would say is actually against American interests, but not in the way he sees them. Right. That that there needs to be a sort of clearly defined sovereign state of the United States of America um, in the in the world, and and and, the, and that was that was over the past thir- at least since the uh, um, Berlin Wall came down, possibly even before then. That was going. That's what his ideas are. But the stylistic stuff clearly attracts some people as well. Yeah, um, he's a bit of a the, street fighter. Yes, and the edgy um, rhetoric, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the unconventional behavior, which you know, the tweeting, the off the cuff, but also the rhetoric and the style, the pugnacious style, the 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 antagonistic approach attracts some people as well. Is it, is it too simplistic to characterize this, or am I totally wrong in, in that in his America First philosophy, which uh, actually Pat Buchanan back in the day yep. very much ran on, on that type sure. of thing and didn't get Paleo any... Paleoconservatism, yeah, no, yeah. Um, Paleoconservative, yeah. Um, he, um, it's probably one of the biggest differences is that in his world, um, as a deal maker, as a, as a developer, as a uh, someone who practices capitalism in the toughest markets in, in New York City and in, in real estate and such, does he see things as a winner and a loser in a deal as opposed to his previous predecessors who were all part of a large community and everybody kind of does their part? And if that means that the United States has to take a, uh, a, a larger uh, burden so that uh, Korea or someplace else you know, can uh, can do other things. Is that a significant difference, uh, or is that my? Yeah, no, uh, no. I think his up? background certainly um, has guided the way he's thought. He thinks about politics, and he thinks about the, the presidency. Um, uh, and yeah, you make deals, but you only make deals uh, when they're good for you. Yeah. Um, and if they're not good for you, you don't make the deals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and you the the benefits need to be material and personal rather than diffuse and kind of mm-hmm. ambiguous right mm-hmm. you mentioned the deal making you you make a deal an Ameri- a us president makes a deal with uh, another country that you say well that doesn't help the united states and the president turns around and says look systemat- systematic stability is in our interest right. and and yeah we're kind of paying off uh, this is Trump's approach to NATO, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're paying for NATO. It's costing us. But we're getting the benefits because the world as it is is good for America. Trump comes into it and says, no, I want more direct, tangible benefits than that. The, the world's best for America. Why are we paying for this? The, the, <laughs> you know, the British, the, the, well, not so much the British and the French because they do pay, but some of the other countries, particularly the Germans, right. you know, with their constitution. 
Yeah. And then we can say the same with the Japanese as well, though, of course, they're not part of NATO. Mm-hmm. We've, we've been providing this security umbrella, and these guys are making boatloads of money. <laughs> we want to see some. That's his approach as opposed to former presidents. But let me say something else about Trump and his approach and, and his real estate background, which I think really informs the presidency. And that is, unlike, now, now, of course, Dem- Democrats used to love debt. They always do, and they still do. But now Republicans do as well. And one of the things, Trump's, because he's in real estate, or was in real estate, his business empire was fueled on debt. That's right, yeah. Mor- uh, 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 mortgages, right? Mortgages. There you That's go. That's what yeah. debt is. And, and, and he doesn't seem to have any understanding of the gov- federal, do- federal government's debt, uh, which has continued to balloon. Um, I think we're going to add another trillion dollars this yes, year? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it used to be the Republicans were the sane ones in the room <laughs> on, on these matters. But, you know, with a president who doesn't seem to think it's important. I mean, he, he what, he's browbeating Jay Powell and the Fed to reduce interest rates in the greatest economy. Yeah. We, he, according to him, according to Trump, the greatest economy we've ever had. Well, that doesn't make any sense. They're really low anyway in historical terms mm-hmm. because that's, we've got to fuel up the credit markets. We've got to fuel up debt. That's, that's the way he believes an economy runs. It's an empirical question as to whether he's going to be right or not. Uh, but it certainly is a, 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 a profound change in the way Republicans think about the, the, the American economy. Have you ever seen a political figure dominate the news cycle uh, anywhere close to Donald uh, Trump? No, no, and of course the news cycles. You're the newsman in the out of the two of us, Rick. I mean, you've 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 been in the business for for a hundred years, time. yeah. yeah, yeah. You look, for a hundred, you look pretty back well, in the but, printing press. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, there are different ways of doing it now. I mean, it's so much more immediate now with with the social media and and uh, other. Internet outlets, but tell me uh, about this uh, the the impact of social media, particularly Twitter, for Trump or just on politics on politics in general. No, I I think we to a certain extent we overemphasize it. There is a there are Twitter communities, um, and and they're generally uh, people who have perhaps more time on their hands than they should, or who are perhaps smarter than they think, or less smart than they think they are. Yeah. Who why are you off. looking at me at that? No, I'm not. I wasn't. I've been looking at you through the entire conversation. That's <laughs> um, uh, who, who get on it, um, and they get in these spats. But where Trump's um, influences is not when he tweets. It's when it's disseminated through conventional media. You know, I, I, mm. t- Trump has, I think, somewhere in the range of about 45 million Twitter followers. He's by far and away mm-hmm. of any political figure. I mean, there, there might be pop culture figures who have more Twitter followers than he does, but by uh, any political figure. But the vast majority of us um, find out about tweets, uh, Trump's tweets from the news. And that's the, what gives yeah, them, or, or they're amplified. Yeah. That's what gives them the oxygen. Um, and the vast majority of those Twitter followers, by the way, don't live in the United States either. So it's not like he's directly – the only time he, 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 his tweets penetrate our consciousness are when people at the editorial desk at the New York Times or, uh, or Fox News or CNN decide they want to make it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, another thing – and you know, this is a, a personal observation uh, – is um, 
I worked for Governor McCrory for three years, and uh, we had a Twitter feed, and I don't think any one of his Twitter uh, social media posts were picked up, and there's a good reason for that. They were never newsworthy because, you know, as a staff, you do everything you can to sanitize them to the point that they're not interesting. Right. And then then President Trump, I mean, nobody is controlling him when it comes to his tweets, and I guess the other thing that has kind of surprised me is that apparently they are now considered, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, now con- considered part of uh, his presidential records. They're going to go in storage somewhere. Yeah, well, anybody can keep them. They're on on Twitter in storage. You can yeah. go back and get all of them, the thousands of them. You know, But they're going to be part of his uh, official uh, presidential uh, record. documents and such. Oh, okay, okay. So that's, yeah. yeah, yeah. no, that makes sense. And that's a change, right? And then I'll have to keep that. And, yeah. Um, but no, it's been, in in any dimension that you can think of, uh, disruptor is a is a pretty good adjective to describe the Trump presidency. We're speaking with a Professor Andy Taylor, a pro- professor of a political science out at uh, NC State. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, politics here in North Carolina, particularly are we ever going to get a budget? You're uh, listening to Carolina Newsmakers, Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. Once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis on this edition, uh, speaking with Professor Andy Taylor of uh, NC State. Um, we are at a, um, I guess, a stalemate here in North Carolina between Governor Roy Cooper and uh, the, uh, the legislative leadership uh, uh, held by Republicans in the General Assembly. Seems to be the uh, big bugaboo over getting a budget approved is Medicaid expansion. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, it's interesting, Rick. So um, this is the f- the first um, sort of go go around here where the Republican majorities haven't been super majorities mm. for the budget. That's in, right. In in the General Assembly, by super majorities, I mean they're not more than sixty percent under the state constitution. The governor. Uh, veto can be overridden with three-fifths. It's two-thirds in, uh, at the federal level, but it's three-fifths here in North Carolina. Um, and um, 
the uh, the Republicans in the House and Senate, uh, it's a, the, 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 the distance is greater in the, in, in the House, so they have more of a problem in the House. But in neither body have a, a strict supermajority at the moment. So uh, in order to override the governor's veto of the budget, uh, they need to get some Democratic votes. Um, and this is proving uh, particularly difficult uh, in the House. Um, and so the governor says he's vetoed the budget. Really, he hasn't talked too much about other things. He's talked a little bit about, you know, he always talks about teachers. And, and we yeah. got to improve. But the real issue, as you mentioned, is Medicaid expansion. And there are uh, an increasingly large number of states, um, uh, not mainly outside of the South, uh, that have uh, using the sort of uh, apparatus of Obamacare have uh, expanded Medicaid to catch um, people who uh, wouldn't otherwise qualify for regular Medicaid mm -hmm. but are uninsured, and so it just sort of expands the the, 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 yeah, the, the eligibility. Now, now it doesn't seem as though, um, uh, particularly in the, um, uh, in the House, as I said, that the, the Republicans are going to be override, override. So they've sort of begun to think a little bit about uh, Medicaid expansion by offering a bill that would have some work requirements. Mm -hmm. um, and polling suggests that uh, quite a large number of Republicans are supportive of that in, in the state, mm -hmm. that they would support Medicaid expansion, but there will be these strings attached in this sort of work requirement. Um, Governor Cooper says he wants a, what he calls, a, I think he calls it a pure... Medicaid bill that is just a Medicaid expansion bill that is without that that expansion, um, and it looks like increasingly looks like um, and there are people out there listening who might be a little bit more closer to the, this than me. But it looks like that at least in the House there there's some crumbling going on. Uh, Speaker Moore, who's the uh, leader of the House, um, is have because he needs more Democrats uh, than um, uh, uh, leader uh, present pro tem. Um, Berger needs in the Senate, there might be some crumbling going on. But certainly in the Senate, um, Phil Berger, Senator Berger has said, you know, uh, we're not going to we're not going to cave here. We're not we don't we're not going for a pure Medicaid expansion. And so there continues to be this standoff where it goes. I don't know. We don't actually need a budget. <laughs> Um, Explain we, that. Yeah, we have a biennial budget in North Carolina, um, and so that means that the the government is funded for two years. When mm -hmm. the the budget in the um, uh, is is passed, um, and um, the uh, well, actually, we're in twenty nineteen now, so we do we will need a budget. But there is a a a a, a, a um, uh, proviso in place that means that we're not shut down, right? That that, that we're you just uh, keep operating on the previous year's budget. Keep operating on the previous year's budget. Budget. So we could go on for a, a while uh, without the, the shutting down of the government or the suspension of, of state government operations. So there isn't this kind of time, this deadline uh, uh, bearing down on everybody. But both sides clearly want a budget because they wrote their own budget. Um, uh, but the question is, when are we going to get it? Who's going to blink first? Whether they, whether people feel a need to blink or not, it's a, it's a good question. Yeah, because um, this is not the most you know polite way of putting it, but you know, in Governor Cooper and in uh, Senate President Phil Berger, you've got two of the hardest heads in North Carolina. You know, right. and I don't see any give uh, between them, and I see that Speaker Moore is kind of larding up. 
some districts. Uh, uh, I think uh, Representative Richardson, he's he's got like $120 million worth of yeah. uh, uh, the state money going to his district. Yeah, there's an and, effort to essentially, I put this in quotation marks so the listeners can't see, but buy off right votes um this happens all the time in legislatures by the way you're kidding uh, yeah oh, no, no no really you, you know that <laughs> this is the breaking um, news here <laughs> in order to to, to to win some votes but you know with the parties as polarized and as 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 cohesive as they are now you know you people worry all the time about being primaried um oh, yeah. you might you might buy up buy some goodies for your district which people might like but at the same time you know the the party in, in your district is is going to be outraged if you if you flip sides and and there's going to be plenty of demand for 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 a primary challenge um, and so that's something that, that that members have to look out for. But yeah, no, we do have the biennial budget, which does mean we don't need a budget in the second year. Mm-hmm. But of course, we're in the the first year of the biennial. First year now. of a two year because, budget. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's 2019. We just had the election 2018. That's what I meant to say earlier on when I was trying to clear that point up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was uh, explaining to my uh, lovely wife Donna, uh, you know, who was saying, look, you know, there's there's a, a couple of ways to skin this cat, this Medicaid cat. And I was saying, you know what, Donna, it really doesn't matter because at least in non-professional political observer Rick Martinez, I think Governor Cooper is kind of in a nice place because if he doesn't get Medicaid expansion, he can blame the wascally Republicans in, yeah. the, in the General Assembly. And if he does get it, it's a big-time win for him. Yeah. No, He. yeah. And, and if you look at it from the other side – um, uh, the Republicans and 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 this say the Republican um, gubernatorial nominee, whoever mm-hmm. that would be, and I think, you know a lot of people think that Lieutenant Governor, current Lieutenant Governor, is in a pretty good position to get that. Yeah, it's a harder argument to make. Um, of course, he can say I wasn't involved, I was out of the loop. But uh, for for Republicans, you you can't sort of say, well, we s- stopped it. There are there is a constituency for that, but it's not huge. Mm-hmm. Right or or on the other side, you know, we did nothing. Yeah, which is there's no 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 constituency for inaction generally. So, you know, it's it's just um, he does seem to ha- have the upper hand here, um, but at the same time he is the governor, and if you have gridlock for a long time, uh, someone like. Um, the Republican nominee, someone like Lieutenant Governor Forrest, if he gets the nomination, can so say, I'm someone who gets things done. Cooper likes presiding over standoffs mm-hmm. and gridlock. Um, what does Dan Forrest run on? He's going to announce for um, officially. He's been in, you know been in the about to announce uh, mode in about for about a year and a half, something like that. But uh, you know, what does he run on? Well. Um, Obviously, you know, today your uh, candidates are captive of their party labels to a large extent. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and so he'll run as a Republican who uh, is, uh, generally favors, um, and, and I think his record's consistent with this, low regulation, low taxes, mm-hmm. um, uh, economic growth that way. Of course, the president complicates things. Greatly, and it's going to not just for for who the Republican nomination nominee for governor is here, but across the country. Um, how do you how do you run um, with Don, Donald Trump on the ticket mm. um, and with a four year record? It's different from 2016. Now he's got a four year record. Do, mm-hmm. do you do you go all in on Trump, or do you just sort of say I'm, I, I like a lot of the stuff the president's done? 
uh, but I want to distance myself from him in, 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 in other regards. That's going to be a question that a lot of Republican statewide office uh, seekers are going to be talking about. And we're seeing it. I think we'll see it play out a little bit in um, for the U.S. Senate. Um, Senator Tillis has mm-hmm. a primary challenge. Um, Garland Tucker. Tucker. Yeah. And uh, Tillis has the president's uh, endorsement, at least for the time being. I mean, I don't know whether that would change. But, you know, the, the whole debates between Tillis and Tucker are going to be based – the, the questions asked of them are, are you with the president? Um, and to what extent? Mm-hmm. That's, that's going to be a lot of the debate uh, in that Republican primary. Yeah, that's going to be a, that's going to be an interesting one because um, I guess at least from what I know or what I understand, uh, Garland Tucker one he's got some money, and and two he's being backed by most of the traditional uh, conservatives uh, in uh, North Carolina. Something that um, Senator Tillis does not have a really he never did have. No, right, no, right. Going back to his time as being Speaker in the mm-hmm. General Assembly. Um, and yeah, no, it will be interesting because the the Trump will will play a huge role, obviously. And and at the moment, um, at least he said that he's supportive of of Senator Tillis. Um, who on the Democratic side will vie for that seat? Do you think for the Senate seat? Yeah, yeah. Well, Cal Cunningham is sort of the person who mm-hmm. uh, actually who's who's come out, and 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 so Cunningham has a track record. And state legislature. He mm-hmm. ran for Senate. He's run. He ran for Senate uh, in uh, the Democratic nomination in 2010. Uh, I, I think it was 2010. Uh, this is the second Burr um, term, mm-hmm. uh, and was defeated in the runoff by Elaine Marshall. Everybody knows mm-hmm. as the Secretary of State, and then of course she lost to Burr mm-hmm. in the general. Um, so he's been around for a while. He's very well known in Democratic circles. But, I, you know, with all due respect to him, he's not, you know, real, real heavy hitter. Um, and uh, it is interesting that there's still some time, but there, there don't, don't seem to be there's a lot of the uh, prominent Democrats um, uh, seem to be passing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can explain uh, to me what I think is the most um, puzzling candidacy uh, declared so far for 2020. And that would be former Congresswoman Renee Elmers wants to be our next lieutenant governor. Why? <laughs> I, well, you, have you might any ask idea? anybody why you, you want to be <laughs> lieutenant governor. I'll ask right? Dan Forrest yeah, you next time ask, I Yeah, see ask lieutenant, the, the actual sitting lieutenant governor because he, <laughs> he, might, he might have a problem answering the question himself. He, the lieutenant governor in, in North Carolina doesn't have a tremendous amount of – To do. To do, <laughs> yeah. right? So they're, they're elected on a separate ticket, which means that you can have – like we do at the moment, a governor of one party and Mm -hmm. a lieutenant governor of the other. A lot of the role of the lieutenant governor is defined by the governor. And as you can imagine, particularly in our partisan era, that there's not going to be a lot of love and trust between Governor Cooper's office and Lieutenant Governor Forrest's office. Um, There are some ceremonial and there are some substantive important roles like running commissions, being on commissions and what have you. But, but, yeah, and and so the way we've come to think about it is as a uh, sort of step on the ladder mm-hmm. uh, towards the governorship, and mm-hmm. and that certainly seems to be the way 
that it, it, the office might be interpreted uh, as we as mm-hmm. we think about uh, Lieutenant Governor Forrest's career. Doesn't mean you're always going to get it, though. We're talking about Forrest as sort of the anointed Republican nominee for governor next yeah. time. But there have been lieutenant governors who've been looked over. Walter Dalton, of course, got it. That's and right. was the nom- But you think back to Dennis Wicker, who everybody right. thought was going to be the nominee. Yeah. Um, and uh, Didn't Mike Easley. Yeah. Uh, and so you can almost think of the attorney general's position as better, right? Easley. Yeah. Cooper now. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks Josh Stein uh, is going to, is sort of in that line to mm-hmm. succeed, um, to succeed or be the Democrat who's, who would want, would want to succeed Roy Cooper. So, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you, you, yeah, ask her. But maybe she think maybe she has designs on 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 being governor, or maybe she likes well, sitting in on commission meetings. Well, yeah, and you know, and to be fair to Dan Forrest, he really has a, uh, uh, the the lieutenant governor is a de facto member of so many, uh, including the state board of yes, education. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he's shown up, and he's oh yeah, no, no, there's a lot of work to yeah, be done. Yeah. It just doesn't seem to a lot of people to be very important and interesting, <laughs> even though it is. I mean, it yeah. doesn't get the he doesn't get the doesn't get the limelight. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, we're speaking to uh, uh, NC State political professor, our professor of political science, uh, Andy Taylor, and uh, we'll be back with our final segment. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. I'm not staying home tonight. I'm at school all day. If they want me to do the work, give it to me while I'm at school. This guy has me coming to work 10 hours a day. So what if I didn't finish school? That doesn't mean he can work me like a dog. Hey man, I need a few bucks. My car's busted and I need some cash. Hello? Hello? Every decision you make has a benefit or a consequence. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the United States Air Force. Carolina Newsmakers continues and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers, Rick Martinez, and for Don Curtis on this edition, speaking with Professor Andy Taylor, a professor of political science at uh, NC State. Okay, I think uh, we have about uh, 20, two dozen people running for the Democratic nomination for president. Uh, they're probably 20, 30 percent into the campaign. Give me your impressions of the Democrats. It's muddled, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's no doubt about that. Um, I think we're starting to see the emergence of four candidates mm-hmm. uh, who I would say at this point one of and this isn't this isn't uh, a real gamble on my part but who I think will one of whom will get the nomination they put in some distance between themselves and the others and that would be uh, Joe Biden Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders uh, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there are some other interesting candidates who are trying to get up in there. The mayor of South Bend, Pete Buttigieg, is mm-hmm. the obvious example. I think he's sort of probably next. Um, it would be interesting to see whether some of the sort of people who uh, who I thought were going to really do well can try to save themselves before we have that real cutoff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking po- particularly about Senators Cory Booker, yeah. maybe f- Senator Amy Klobuchar mm-hmm. um, uh, possibly could get in there. But, yeah, so we've got these two tiers. And I think in terms of the dynamics, you know, there are going to be some cleavages. There's going to be sort of the moderates versus the li- the liberals or the progressives, whatever you want to call them. Um, but there are also going to be some interesting um, gender and racial this is the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, identity politics is, seems to be very important. That Those cleavages are going to become important, you know. Um, um, but also, I think, generational ones. Um, and, and certainly, if we get that split with those four, basically, and the others slowly but surely sort of drop out, then the dynamics fit Harris, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, as by far and away the the young, even though she's well, she's she's pretty young, uh, she's in her fifties. Um, young, don't get in kind, trouble kind of, here, professor. Yeah, no, no, I, we're, we're all there, aren't we? Um, uh, as the <laughs> except for Jason, um, uh, who would be able to sort of talk about that generational thing. But um, yeah, the, all of these things have got to kind of shake themselves out. And it, as you noted. Um, it's an un- unwieldy field, which is actually growing as it gets smaller as well. You know, you've got mm-hmm. um, uh, people announcing as well, people. Tom, are, uh, Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer. Eric Swalwell dropped out, but Tom, you know. So, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. And, and, and where that would, I mean, Steyer's really interesting char- character, but no one's even sort of talking about. It. It's a really interesting race. I mean, we've had a little bit of discussion about Bill de Blasio uh, in the last couple of days, but here's the, the mayor of the largest city in the country who no one is even thinking of as being a candidate. Um, I'm surprised I didn't hear the name uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. Oh, I said Sanders. Yeah, you in, did. Uh, in my four, yeah. Okay. So so Biden, Sanders, Warren, and, and Harris. Let's play that... the tape back because I don't know if you did. Sorry, I, okay. I, I might have right. mumbled it, but, or okay. at least I meant to say it, even though I might okay. not have. Okay, well, uh, I think my hearing is not uh, um, what it used to be. Is this um, – current group of uh, candidate because i'm i'm surprised we're not surprised when you said you know this there might be a cleavage between uh the more progressive wing and the more moderate ring and i'm sitting there looking at at the list and i'm sitting there thinking well vice president biden i think would be fit in the moderate in fact he's i think this week said his health care plan uh, builds on the existing obamacare the affordable care act as opposed to some of the other um is it I guess what I'm asking you is the current group of candidates do they are they reflective of the Democratic Party uh, as a whole? Well, I uh, yeah, I mean I think when you have 24 people they probably do. <laughs> the the real question is is the center of gravity <clears throat> in that 24, right? And I think I think there is a danger and I think uh, Vice President Biden has sort of talked about this that the Democrats could nominate someone who is further to the left than... They'll nominate someone who's to the left of the median American. That's what Democrats do. Yeah. But to the really to the left of the median American and even to the left of the median Democrat. Um, and um, 
that is a significant from for, from their perspective a significant danger uh given the mix of candidates but it's not just biden versus the crowd i mean i think that one of the interesting things i found watching what's going on earlier is particularly people like um uh, who are senators, particularly Booker Harris and to a lesser ex- extent Gillibrand, um, who have actually done sort of moderate things before, uh, genuinely moderate back in, things. Back in the day, back yeah. in, you know, and, 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 and who have, <clears throat> uh, have taken positions, um, Booker, for example, uh, on economic policy, on law and order, who have taken a lot of flack from the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And yet, that you can sense that they feel that they need to, whatever you want to say, pander to them or, mm-hmm. or move to in that direction. They have palpably gone over to sort of say to the progressives, I'm, I'm woke, you know, I'm in. <laughs> um, That's right, yeah. And um, that is a, a sense that, you know, I think that Biden's trying to say, um, of course he wants to be, the nominee, mm-hmm. but but he's also trying to say we've got to be careful of that. And but but I think there are candidates out there. Let's say if it, if Harris is the nominee, or if you know much less likely it seems at the moment, but someone like Booker is the nominee, they they can uh, appeal. I think a, 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 as a moderate in a way that someone like a Bernie Sanders clearly can't, mm. or an Elizabeth Warren clearly can't, um, or a Beto O'Rourke clearly can't oh yeah i remember Um, him now yeah yeah yeah, no yeah no well he's not going to be the nominee so but but that but so so it's not just biden versus the field i guess that's what i'm saying there is but there is a danger for democrats from their perspective that they're all going to try to out progressive each other with the exception of biden um during the primaries to be to be the anti-biden the anti-biden gets it um and that person then has to uh, spend a lot of time trying to scurry back to the center, or if it's Bernie Sanders, won't even bother. Um, yeah, uh, you know, um, yeah, that, that's it. That's the challenge. Yeah. Well, uh, Professor Andy Taylor, I want to thank you for taking time out of your uh, summer, you know, coming off the beach and coming in here. And I, was, us I was a, in the office. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have been on the beach, but. and uh, and uh, spending this time with. I, I, I guess we got a pretty exciting uh, political year ahead of us. We do. Thanks, Rick. All right, thank you. All right, uh, uh, next week, Don Curtis will be, be back with another newsmaker here on Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.